has been established, the persons who have recently died have been returning to life and committing acts of murder. Believe in ghosts? The first simply disappears, the other two died. Pretties. It's your host, Ashley Lana, your certified nightmare prescriber and your non-destructive call leader. How is everyone doing this evening? I am really excited for tonight's examination because I love Egypt so much that whenever I'm bored or I'm cleaning, I just I usually throw on like an Egyptology documentary because it's so fascinating to me. The country has its own science. That's how fascinating ancient Egypt is to people. But before we get into all that, I want to explain my thought process for a second. So I'm currently reading two biographies and multiple reference texts on the third WOW Worst of the Worst episode case installment that I'm going to give to you. Now, initially it was supposed to be this episode, but because there's so much dense information in what I'm reading, it would have taken a week to produce another episode. So I figured rather than waiting two weeks to give you a wow episode that I would still be working on the wow episode and give you an episode in the meantime because Egypt is something that I've just loved for so long that this episode would be substantially quicker to give to you guys. We are going to go into the examination of dissecting one of my favorite childhood fascinations. A dark history that would keep my mind wandering for years and I'm really excited to share it with you. So with that being said, welcome to Lullaby. Yes, next week you will get the third WOW Worst of the Worst episode, but as a special dark history lesson for tonight, we are traveling to the cascading sand dunes that bow to the sun god Ra a magical ancient civilization filled with conspiracies and death, and the most famous Egyptian pharaoh to have ever been buried with a curse in the Valley of Kings over 3,000 years ago. So get comfortable, because sweet dreams are made of these. story contains subject matter involving graphic descriptions of religion, physical illness, and ancestral relations. Please take into consideration that some topics may be disturbing for some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. For nearly 3,000 years, Ancient Egypt was one of the greatest civilizations to have ever lived on Earth. Their stories detailed in handcrafted hieroglyphics upon the tombs of the great kings, and the cartouche that enclosed ancient texts about the house of pharaohs. Throughout history, the rise and fall of the greatest royal family of the 18th dynasty has left the world in awe of its mysteries. The ancient Egyptians kept buried beneath the sands of time a secret that has kept archaeologists to this day still searching for answers. When the tomb of the ancient king was unearthed, did it release a curse that caused the suspicious death of nine people? 
Why was the family stricken from the past? And why did the young king meet his death so young? Years of history rewritten by the ancient Egyptians that tried to erase the pharaoh who restored order to the old religion of Egypt from his father's cursed reign. What caused the ancients to stricken the son of Egypt's cruelest pharaoh who only wanted to bring peace back to the kingdom? Now, in 2022, answers have been brought forth with hundreds of years of mysterious research. This is the cryptic true story of the fall of the house of King Tutankhamun, the cursed pharaoh of Egypt. Years after the construction of the Great Pyramids of Giza and the majestic Sphinx around 1380 BC, Pharaoh Amontep III and his sister, Queen Taya, gave birth to their second son, Prince Amontep. When his older brother died, the throne was given to the young prince. After the death of Amontep's father in 1353 BC, he was crowned Pharaoh of Egypt and the 10th ruler of the 18th dynasty. Amontep did have multiple lovers, but was most famously married to the most recognizable queen of Egypt, Nefertiti. The royal couple had a total of six daughters, and in 1341 BC, the famous prince Tutankhamun was born, but not from Nefertiti. Tutankhamun was sired by King Amontep and one of his multiple wives, who was given the informal name of the younger lady, who was in fact King Amontep's sister. Growing up, King Amontep was taught the centuries-old religion of Egypt that worshipped multiple deities. Religious practice centered around the pharaohs who were believed to be the living mediator between the gods and the Egyptians. The concept that the universe focused on what the Egyptians called Mahat, meaning truth, justice, and order. According to the Egyptian belief, Mahat was consistently under a threat from external forces to disrupt the order on Earth. They believed that offerings to the gods through rituals would maintain Mahat through the changing of the seasons. Among one of the most cherished seasonal events to maintain order was the annual flooding of the Nile River and the journey of the sun god Ra, the creator of life. Ra is depicted as to have the head of a falcon with a golden sun disk inside of a cobra placed on its head. The ancient Egyptians called the Nile River Ar, meaning black, a reference to the dark sediment the waters carried from the Horn of Africa and deposited in Egypt along the riverbanks in the late summer. The river was a source of the country's rich farmland, and of course, gold. When people think of Egypt, the concept of gold immediately comes into one's mind, and it's estimated that ancient Egypt had over 6.7 million ounces of gold. The precious metal would get carried down in the Nile River and mined by workers for the royal family. In ancient Egyptians, they sanctified gold because it represented sunlight and everlasting life that was indestructible. Because they believed that it was the skin from the sun god Ra. They believed that the precious metal symbolized divinity, which is why when you look at ancient paintings of all the Egyptian gods and pharaohs, their skin is either gold or yellow. And the Egyptians believed that their pharaohs were the mediator between themselves and the gods. And after a pharaoh dies in death, they become completely divine, which is why the tombs of their mummies would be surrounded by golden objects. And this was to display divinity and their wealth that would transfer over into the next life. I will explain in depth the ancient process and symbolism of mummification and the opening of the mouth ceremony later in the episode, because 
it adds to the conspiracies of King Tutankhamun's embalming process into the afterlife. Here comes your history lesson. So it wasn't until the final days of ancient Egypt during the Ptolemaic dynasty in 1070 BC, which was Queen Cleopatra's reign. And for those of you who do not know who she was, she was the last queen of Egypt before she surrendered Egypt to the Roman Empire following the murder of her scandalous lover, Julius Caesar, the Roman dictator, not the salad dressing. So it was in this influence of the Roman Empire that gold and silver became an established currency later in history. At this moment where we're talking, gold was considered to be a gift from Ra to the kings and the pharaohs. So stay with me because there are so many gods in the Egyptian history that each of them had their own cult and for specific reasons that benefited the earth. Amun was the god of the sun and air who later got fused with the other sun god Ra and the joining renamed the deity Amun-Ra, which is probably more common for everyone listening. Now, prior to this, Amun was ancient Egypt's most worshipped god. He was the king of the gods. So every god and goddess had their own cult. And the priests who led these cults amassed so much wealth from their worshippers' donations through rituals just to please the gods that the priests of Amun specifically owned more land and wealth than the pharaohs than the royal family. So are we on the same page? <laughs> I hope so, because it only gets more confusing, and I assure you I'm doing my best to translate this as best as I can. So, let's continue, because Egypt is so fascinating. During the first five years of Amontep's rule as pharaoh, he allowed the worship of all deities, but this soon changed. Amontep began worshiping solely the god Aten, much like his father. Aten was the sun disk that encapsulated inside of the snake on top of the sun god Ra's head. Amontep changed his name to Akhenaten, which means, directly translated, living spirit of Aten. The pharaoh then radically declared that there would be only one worshiping god. In history, this was considered to be the birth of monotheism, or the worship of only one god. Filled with the power of Aten, Akhenaten ordered all temples dedicated to the worship of the sun god Amun to be destroyed and banned the imagery of any other deities. Monuments that contained the names or symbols of lower gods were banished throughout Egypt. Akhenaten announced that he was the only true representation of Aten, denouncing any importance to the temple priests. The religious leaders view this autocracy as a dangerous threat to the future of Egypt. To avoid the risk of punishment, no one argued the new rule. Then, the pharaoh nationally declared that he and his wife, Nefertiri, were actual gods themselves, to be worshipped. This upset the Egyptians, who viewed the king as a heretic who had abolished all old tradition. Akhenaten had no care for what the people thought about his new right. He ordered that a new capital city was to be built in honor of him. He named it Armana, Horizon of Aten. The location was to be built between the previous capital, Thebes, and the city of Memphis, the true heart of Egypt. Amarna was constructed with temples and monuments that displayed the worship of Akhenaten and his wife. Nothing of the old religion was allowed to be uttered in the city, let alone in Egypt. Akhenaten neglected foreign affairs and diplomacy in Egypt, and he believed that his attention was more suited for religious reform. With the temple priests defranchised, the control passed to the army and the central government that bred corruption and bureaucracy. 
After 17 years in power, Akhenaten died. The cause of death was unclear. As punishment for attempting to outlaw worship of the traditional Egyptian gods, the temple priests of Amun-Ra placed a curse during the mummification of Akhenaten that the pharaoh's descendants were to be cursed until the dynasty ended. The next descendant to take the throne was the nine-year-old son of the cursed king, the famous Tutankhamun. Tutankhamun was born Tukhenhaten after the god Aten in Amarna, Egypt in 1341 BC. He was thrown into power after the sudden death of his heretic father, Akhenaten. At only the age of nine, the boy king was expected to lead a country with the aid of his royal advisors. Shortly after his coronation, he was married to his half-sister, Ankisa Peyton. Immediately into his reign, his advisors convinced at the time named Tukhenhaten and his wife, Ankisa Peyton, to reject the ideologies of his father's Atenism and restore the old traditional worship of Amun and lesser deities. The advisors made him and his wife prove their loyalty to Amun and the gods by changing both their names to Tutankhamun and Anaxunamun. The child pharaoh also abandoned the city of Amarna and re-established Thebes as Egypt's capital city. King Tutankhamun and his wife slash sister, Queen Anaxunamun, were left with the difficult task of removing the scar their father had left on the dynasty name. Their father's attempt to overhaul centuries of religious tradition had already upset so many Egyptian followers. The two then teenagers relied heavily on the chief military advisors, Ai and Horemheb, to govern Egypt. Besides the stress of ruling an ancient nation, the boy king was plagued with multiple birth defects from the ancestral inbreeding. Over the course of 10 painful years, King Tutankhamun ruled over Egypt. And at the age of 19 years old, the boy king died mysteriously in 1324 BC. Okay, I don't even know where to start when explaining this because I'm currently looking at his CT scans and the autopsy reports. And when it came to the years of inbreeding in this royal family, like King Tut drew the short stick. Like this is crazy because he is the short stick. Like this kid had it so bad in fact. That the that he the fact that he does die at such a young age does not surprise me. Okay, let's just start with the inbreeding. Let me explain this family tree as best as I can. Fear cult, I'm going to need your full attention for this, and I need you to stay with me here because this family tree is bouncing between wives and sisters and sisters and brothers. It's a nightmare. So I'm gonna make this as easy as I can. Tutankhamun's father, Akhenaten, married Nefertiri. Nefertiri, as far as I can see, was not related to him. However, so King Tut's parents were full brother and sister. King Tut married his half-sister, Anaxunamun. Anaxunamun's parents were Akhenaten, who was King Tut's father, and Nefertiri, who was King Tut's stepmother. There were many stillborns and miscarriages in the 18th dynasty due to inbreeding. So King Tutankhamun's father, Akhenaten, had interesting depictions of himself in sculptures and pictographs. Like his head and his neck are elongated and they're gangly. And his chin is protruding and he's got these beady little small eyes. And this suggests to scientists and archaeologists that Akhenaten suffered from the inherited disorder Marfan syndrome which affects the connective tissues in the body. However, 
With more recent examinations, it is more believed that the artwork was created with such a way to cement Akhenaten's godlike status because he claimed he was the only god. Cult leader! Now, when Akhenaten was pharaoh, he was fully aware that he was pissing people off with his religious reform. So he knew that he had to get his wives to start popping out heirs to the throne stat because he was confident that if he did not solidify his new religion, it would probably get abandoned, which it did. So Akhenaten and Nefertiri kept giving birth to females. Historians have discovered compelling evidence that suggests that Akhenaten may have married his daughter, Anaksunamun, after Nefertiri died. But when Akhenaten died, King Tut's father, Anaksunamun married her half-brother, King Tutankhamun. Okay, we still here? Everybody is mingling sexually? That's pretty much what we're getting from this. So the couple, Tutankhamun and Anaksunamun, brother and half-sister, had multiple miscarriages and ended up having two stillborn daughters that were buried in the royal tombs but were left unnamed. Gross as this is, I find it really fascinating. The pharaohs of ancient Egypt used inbreeding as a way to prevent other families from marrying in and taking away the throne. Tutankhamun, he unfortunately paid the price with the dangers of incest. And inbreeding does not create genetic defects. It only increases the odds of stacking up defected bad genes to create dominant defects carried through generations. Inbreeding populations, they don't shuffle their genetics around. So a person's mother and father are more likely to have the same copy of a bad gene if they share the same grandparents. So rather than getting one copy of a bad gene in hopes that it'll die out, you're getting two copies of a bad gene, and this increases the chances of the offspring carrying that bad gene. Bad genetic traits are almost always recessive, and a dominant trait that causes serious defects would over time fade out. Now, in a diverse population, it's rare for people with the same recessive gene to meet and pass the bad gene along. In Tutankhamun's case, he got the gauntlet of bad genes. He was born with collar disease, which is more commonly referred to as clubfoot. And this is a bone disorder of the foot in children that compresses the joints and causes immense strain, swelling, and pain over time. And the toes of Tut were actually dying from the degenerative disease in his left foot. And this caused King Tutankhamun to need a cane in order to walk. And his tomb contained more than 100 canes and walking sticks. His clubfoot was so bad that it prevented him from participating in any vigorous activity, such as chariot riding. And this is interesting because in 2013, British researchers believe that the mysterious death of King Tut was due to a horrific chariot accident because of Tut's tomb. There were paintings of him in countless chariots. And after analyzing the mummy, it is apparent that one side of his body was crushed. And they believed that a chariot accident shattered his pelvis and ribs and crushed his heart so badly that it was unsalvageable for mummification. But currently, researchers do not believe this theory anymore, and it's due to the bad degenerative health of the young king. So his body was falling apart, he couldn't stand without any aid, emphasis on over a hundred canes and walking sticks inside of his tomb. Tutankhamun was born with a cleft palate, and his spine was badly curved due to inflammation and a weakened immune system. So the conclusion of the result of a study that used molecular genetics and advanced CT scans the test revealed that King Tutankhamun did not have an easy life. 
and Karsten Pusch, who's an author of the medical study from the Institute of Human Genetics in Germany, said, quote, This guy was suffering. The degenerative bone disease probably caused Tut's foot to swell from inflammation and made it impossible for him to walk normally. Many of Tut's problems could have come from inbreeding, which was common in the royal family. The problems related to inbreeding probably contributed to Tut's death, but were not the immediate cause. End quote. Earlier studies found that Tut had a badly broken right leg, which could have been a factor, and DNA studies from the bone in Tutankhamun's legs contained a parasite responsible for the most severe form of malaria. So malaria is the infectious disease that causes vomiting, fever, severe headaches, seizures, coma, and even death. <laughs> I shouldn't be laughing, but I'm only laughing due to the emphasis that this history professor had when saying, quote, he had a raging case of malaria. <laughs> Poor King Tut. He... He did nothing wrong. He was such, he just wanted to make his country proud and he got the shit end of this stick. This poor kid, he's a victim. I feel really bad for him. Okay, prior to the advancements in forensic technology, it was theorized that King Tut died from a blow to the skull more than 3,000 years ago. And Tut's skull was intact and the bone had only been chipped off of a vertebrae in his neck. So medical analysis supports that the damage occurred some 3,000 years after his death and most likely occurred when archaeologist Howard Carter discovered the corpse in 1922 as he pried off the golden death mask. So murder is out the window. King Tut was not murdered. I repeat, he was not murdered. Do we think that King Tut died as a result of a chariot accident? No because all scientific autopsies conclude that it was very unlikely due to his serious genetic physical impairments. And virtual CT scans reveal that only one of his broken bones occurred prior to death, while all the other fractures, the one on his skull and on his skeleton, were post-mortem. The reason the chariot death theory is popular is because inside of Tut's tomb, there were depictions of him on a chariot everywhere. Now stay with me, because later on in the episode, I'm going to explain why the uh, the old chariot depictions are a little bit of a, a little bit of a little bit of a lie there, bud. <laughs> so moving on, Professor Albert Zink, head of the Institute for Mummies and Icemen in Italy, said, "Quote: It was important to look at his ability to ride on a chariot, and we concluded it would not be possible for him." especially with his partially clubbed foot. He was unable to stand unaided, end quote. So the depictions for Tut all around the tomb were for show. He was the original catfish. Ladies, he was not riding a chariot into the mystical night to come and save you. <laughs> Scientists and professors around the world have come to conclude that the cause of King Tutankhamun's death was a result of a weakened immune system and physical impairments inherited from his family's inbreeding. The two unborn daughters of King Tutankhamun and his wife Naksunamun, if were brought to term, they would have suffered from spina bifida, scoliosis, and sprengel deformity, where the shoulder blade is too high on one side of the body and would restrict the movement of the joint. So in summary, 
King Tutankhamun died of poor genetics resulting in a terrible immune system. And this is where the story gets really dramatic and really exciting, because now King Tutankhamun's dead. So if you were a fan of daytime dramas and telenovelas like Rosalinda and American shows such as Days of Our Lives, Young and the Restless, or General Hospital, you are going to eat this shit up. <laughs> with King Tutankhamun's death, Egypt was left without an heir to the throne, for the king was childless. Evidence supports that Tutankhamun and his wife tried without success to have children. The mummies of two female fetuses between the ages of five and eight months old were found in the tomb. The special embalming priests then began the crucial 70-day process of preparing their pharaoh for the next life and preserving the body through the process known as mummification. Ancient Egyptians believed that for a pharaoh to take their place in the afterlife next to the gods, their body had to be preserved intact. If the body got destroyed, then the spirit would get lost. And if the pharaoh was not ascended next to the gods properly, then he cannot explain the wishes of the people during his time and power on earth, and life as the world knows it would be destroyed. Dr. Peter J. Brand, an Egyptologist at the University of Memphis, explained that Tutankhamun's succession forced Egypt into a military and political crisis. At the time of the death, Egypt had just lost an important war with the Hitti Empire. The sudden death of the boy king sent Egypt into a panic. The race to prepare Tutankhamun's tomb and crowned a successor in 70 days had begun. Three people were in the running to become the next ruler of Egypt. King Tutankhamun's widow, Anaxunamun. The only way for Anaxunamun to remain queen of Egypt, she must marry the next king. The second contender was Hormheb, the commander-in-chief of the Egyptian army and the highest official under the pharaoh. Hieroglyphics in Egypt reveal that Hormheb is the next appointed successor to the throne if the widowed queen cannot marry. Unfortunately for Hormheb, he was not in Egypt at the time of Tutankhamun's death. He was on a military campaign outside of Egypt. With Hormheb not in the country, a third contender was considered. A senior advisor to Tutankhamun, a chamberlain, named Ai, and possibly Tutankhamun's granduncle. If I wanted to become the next pharaoh, he would have to bury Tutankhamun before Horemheb returned to Egypt. In ancient Egypt, whoever buried the pharaoh was the next king. It is believed that Chamberlain I rushed the mummification process and burial of Tutankhamun to strengthen his claim to the throne. Tutankhamun's tomb was rushed. When compared to the tombs of past and future pharaohs, his was exponentially less luxurious. Tombs were meant to be thousands of square meters devoted to royalty. Tutankhamun's tomb was small and cluttered. Archaeologists referred to it as unimpressive. Dr. Kent R. Weeks, a director of Egyptian tomb mapping, explained that the first time he stepped into the famous king's grave in the Valley of Kings, he said, quote, you go in there and it really was deflating. Walls undecorated, chambers barely big enough to fit half a dozen people in. It was a real shock. Dr. Kent Weeks, along with other Egyptologists, are convinced that the tomb was not built for King Tutankhamun. The king had ruled for only 10 years, and it was the pharaoh's duty to prepare their tomb design during their reign, for when the time came for the transition, it was almost effortless. These experts also find it strange that Tutankhamun's tomb was not completed by the time he died. Egyptologists Dr. Peter J. Brand and Dr. Kent Weeks believed what possibly occurred 
was an act of political genius on Chamberlain I's part. They think that I made the brilliant decision to switch the burial tombs with his own, burying Tutankhamun in the resting place that was meant to be his own, leaving the decadent larger tomb for himself, legitimizing himself as the next true pharaoh of Egypt. Meanwhile, Tutankhamun's widow, Anaxunamun, must quickly make preparations if she plans to stay in power. She has no choice but to marry the next person in line for king. Whoever is present during the opening of the mouse ceremony that reanimates Tutankhamun's body for the afterlife will become king. Whether or not they choose her to be his wife is a different question. In a panic, Anaxunamun decided to write a letter to the king of the Haiti Empire. She begged for him to send her one of his many sons that she could marry. This would make him the king of Egypt, keeping Anaxunamun the queen. The Hitti king agreed, and this would create a peace treaty for the two feuding countries. When the letter was sent, Egypt was in a foreign policy crisis. While the Haiti prince was traveling across the Egyptian border, he mysteriously died. Once the news of his death returned to the Haiti king, a diplomatic feud occurred. The king blamed the Egyptians for the death of his son and ordered his army to immediately attack the Egyptian territory. This war extended Horemheb's military campaign, preventing him from being present at Tutankhamun's funeral. This stroke of luck left Chamberlain I the only successor to the throne of Egypt. With the unimpressive location of Tutankhamun's final resting place chosen, filling it with all the gold and riches for the afterlife was next. Workers spent days rushing to fill the tomb with priceless artifacts. The pieces were not arranged in an organized display, but rather a cluttered mess, and some of the objects were even broken, which was out of protocol for a proper burial chamber. Archaeologists found multiple hints of evidence that Tutankhamun's burial and funeral were hurried so that Chamberlain I could become king. The small tomb was a challenge for the Egyptian workers to attempt to finish in a 70-day time frame. The painted figures on the wall of the tomb were almost of human scale, which is bizarre for Egyptian tombs that usually have small intricate paintings around every wall that take months to decorate. Tutankhamun's did not, with some of the walls being left barren. The life-size paintings show the journey of Tutankhamun's life with very little detail over a 20-foot wall. Then on the adjacent wall is an image that is completely unprecedented in royal tombs a large-scale image depicting the opening of the mouth ceremony done by the successor of the throne. Egyptologists confirm, due to its rarity, it is done by the successor to make a statement to claim the throne. The cartouche above the successor in the painting reads the name I. Chamberlain I legitimized his legal claim to the throne before the official funeral of Tutankhamun. So King Tut dies as a result of his less than ideal genetic conditions with three successors, Chamberlain I, military commander Horemheb, and the widow sister Anaxunamun, and they all want the throne. Now Horemheb was the main contender, unfortunately. He was in battle outside of Egypt, so this delayed him from getting back to the country. Chamberlain I recognized this and immediately took it upon himself to oversee the entire mummification and the burial process of King Tutankhamun because this made him look really good. And if he could pull it off in under 70 days, boom, he's the next king. And Anaxunamun, God bless her soul, she tried very hard to mail order herself a husband, but that was unsuccessful because the Haiti prince died trying to enter Egypt since the country was already in a war. 
which Hormheb was campaigning. Well, now the Hitti king takes it personally and declares an immediate bombardment on Egypt. So lucky for Chamberlain I, he can relax a little bit since Anaxunamun is not going to be queen and Hormheb cannot claim the throne in time. The gold antiquities that were thrown into the chambers without a care made archaeologists question where they were from and why they weren't that important. So after some researching, roughly 80 to 90% of all the golden antiquities that were inside of King Tut's tomb were from the forgotten city of Amarna that Tut's father had created so that he could have only one god in Egypt. The Egyptian priests wanted absolutely no remains of this one god religion of Aten. So they divided up the riches into tombs and threw what was needed into Tutankhamun's in hopes that it would never be seen again. Chamberlain I then had workers rush a mediocre painting on some of the walls that does depict his succession to the throne. And he then had to find a sarcophagus to lay Tut's mummy into after the mummification process was completed. But he didn't have time to carve any sarcophagus. So what does our little friend do? Well, since he's in a rush, he just simply recycles another sarcophagus. And he has workers etch the names out and replace them with Tutankhamun. An ancient Egyptian sarcophagus has a total of nine layers, similar to Russian nesting dolls, and all of them made of gold and were extremely priceless. So Egyptologists believe that the famous golden casket and death mask were altered to seem as though they were initially made for Tutankhamun. Tut's mummy had been placed inside of his three coffins and then inside of his second-hand sarcophagus. Tutankhamun's outer coffin had an odd detail to scientists. On the headdress detail of the coffin, there are these detailed lapids or beaded designs etched into the gold. But only one headdress in Egyptian history was ever worn like that, and that was a single pharaoh, Akhenaten, Tut's father, the heretic king. And the most fascinating discovery of all by Egyptologists was on Tut's iconic solid gold mask. There is a line of prominent solder on the left side of the mask that suggests tampering to fit a new owner. And to continue the curiosity, the death mask has a blue glass in the inlays of the wig, but the blue eyeliner of the mask are of lapis lazuli. Now, this is a non-consistent gemstone in the design, which tells scientists that the mask had been altered to represent Tutankhamun. Originally, the death mask belonged to someone else. Oh, the drama continues! So Chamberlain I botched the chamber paintings, he stashed the tomb full of statues representing Tut's father's failed religion, and he recycled the sarcophagus and coffins, and even recycled the famous death mask. Almost nothing was originally made for poor Tutankhamun. So was his mummy even his? Mm, of course it was. But you're damn right that Chamberlain I had the mummification process botched so he could be pharaoh as quick as he could. I watched a documentary, and an Egyptologist performed the mummification process on a dead sheep. And while she was performing the process, she explains how King Tutankhamun's mummification was botched. 
So to begin mummification, there is a small incision that is made on the left side of the corpse that is used as an opening to remove the internal organs. Tutankhamun's mummy had a large gash that ran from the navel down to the side of his torso that was completely unprecedented in 18th dynasty mummies, okay? The large cuts, they weren't used until the 26th Egyptian dynasty, more than 650 years after the death of Tutankhamun. So this was the first check mark of a botched mummification. Next, every internal organ, including the brains, gets removed, all except for the heart. It was imperative that the heart remain in the body so that the gods recognized it as the soul and allowed the body soul entrance into the afterlife. King Tut's x-rays all show no sign of a heart being left in the chest. The removed internal organs are then embalmed and placed into a ceremonial golden coffin or multiple coffins in King Tut's case. Next, Tut's body was cleaned with warm water and palm oils to disinfect the body. The body then gets packed with linen filled with packs of natron, which is a natural concoction of baking soda and salt just to dehydrate the body. So Tut's body was then covered completely in natron and left to dry out for 40 days. And this is standard practice for mummification. However, when Tut's mummy was examined by Egyptologists, it was revealed that Tut's body had already started decomposing prior to mummification, which suggests that he died in a location away from the palace to immediately start the process of decomposition. So after the 40 days of drying Tut's body with natron, embalmers then covered his corpse in sacred oils to allow flexibility to the limbs to allow them to be positioned in the royal pose. After, a hot resin is then painted onto the corpse, which causes the body to turn golden in color. And this shows the divinity of the pharaoh. Now, if you look at photographs of King Tut's mummy, I highly recommend you Google it if you have not, he is Chicago steak black. <laughs> the resin that was applied to his body was applied in such an excessive amount that it cooked his flesh, turning him black. Unbelievably unprecedented in Egyptian mummification. So King Tut's mummy got carbonized by the resin. And Egyptologists suggest that the heavy resin could have been to hide a botched mummification. But there is good news to this story. The linen wrapping was in fact the final stage of the process and it was done very well, in fact. <laughs> so now King Tut is all wrapped and he's ready to be placed into his coffin to begin the opening of the mouth ceremony. And this is the final hurrah before the next king is crowned. So the ceremony is performed at the funeral by an important designated person. In Tutankhamun's case, it was Chamberlain I. And during the ritual, tools are used to touch the mouth and the eyes to enable the spirit of the dead king to be able to eat and drink in the afterlife. And it is very important for the ancient Egyptians. And then their pharaoh joins the gods above if the mummification process is done correctly. After Tutankhamun was laid to rest, Chamberlain I became the 13th pharaoh of the 18th dynasty of Egypt. Little is known if King I had a small marriage to Tutankhamun's widow in Aksunamun, for after the death of King Tutankhamun, she vanished from history. Only four years into power, 
King Ai died mysteriously. He was then replaced by Horemheb in 1319 BC. Over the course of 14 years, Horemheb demolished all of Tutankhamun and his family's buildings. King Horemheb made it his mission to stricken Akhenaten and his son Tutankhamun from all historical records, which was successful. Akhenaten's name does not appear in any Egyptian king list compiled in the ancient cities. The rediscovery of the lost city Amarna was not until the early 18th century. Then again, in 1913, when old copies of maps were used by archaeologists to explore the ruins, King Horemheb ruled over Egypt for 14 years and tried to erase all of the heretic King Akhenaten's history, as well as his son Tutankhamun. For over 3,000 years, the cursed secret of the pharaohs lie buried beneath the sands of the Valley of the Kings, where no Egyptian hoped they would ever be discovered. On November 4, 1922, a team of archaeologists led by Egyptologist Howard Carter stumbled upon a step underneath the sand. The next thing they found was a series of steps leading down to a sealed door and secret buried chamber. On November 26th, Carter entered the tomb to see a collection of golden Egyptian treasures. Months later, on February 16, 1923, he opened the innermost chamber and found the sarcophagus of the cursed boy king, Tutankhamun. Howard Carter and his crew were immediately put under the radar for disturbing the ancient tomb. Egyptians believed that anyone who should disturb a pharaoh's tomb would be cursed. The curse was made famous worldwide after the death of Lord Carnarvon, who assisted Howard Carter open the tomb of King Tutankhamun. The group of archaeologists had given each other gifts from the tomb as a reward, and most of them turned up dead. After Lord Carnarvon's death, eight other deaths occurred in correlation with the opening of Tutankhamun's tomb. Lord Carnarvon died of blood poisoning after a mosquito bite on his face became infected. His brother also died from blood poisoning soon after. The other archaeologists died of high fevers and other mysterious illnesses. One man had his house catch on fire, and not long after being rebuilt, it flooded. The ancient artifacts were left unscathed. Those who tried to erase King Akhenaten and his son Tutankhamun from history ended up creating the most famous Egyptian pharaohs in modern times. The Journal of the American Medical Association explains that King Tutankhamun died from complications from a broken leg exacerbated by malaria. As for the famous mummy curse of the 18th dynasty, it may be sheer coincidence that the mysterious events and deaths occurred after opening the royal tomb of Tutankhamun. Did the curse laid upon King Akhenaten by the temple priest for his blasphemy have any influence? Radiologists at the Cairo University Hospital in Egypt said, quote, People love to say it's the curse whenever something strange happens around King Tut. Of course, being a scientific man, I do not believe in these things. That was the true story of the world's most famous pharaoh of ancient Egypt. King Tutankhamun of the 18th dynasty, and everything was straightforward until Tut's father, Akhenaten, decided to start the cult that was the first ever documented monotheism. When he died, the temple priests cursed his lineage, and they wanted no one to remember him or his son, and buried the secrets in the sands with Tutankhamun hoping that no one would ever unearth the radical religious philosophies of the heretic father. 
here's something I found really interesting. Although the worship of the Egyptian god Aten was prevalent before Akhenaten, the worship of only one god was not. And Sigmund Freud, the famous psychoanalyst, he said this about Akhenaten, quote, he who added something new that turned into monotheism, the doctrine of a universal god, the quality of exclusiveness. And to make this even more fascinating, Freud argued that the followers of Atenism were forced to leave Egypt after Akhenaten's death and were led by an Atenist priest named Moses. And the creation of Judaism cannot be directly linked to Atenism, but Sigmund Freud pointed out the direct parallels. So Akhenaten influenced the later development of monotheistic religious faiths. That's so cool. It's so cool because if it wasn't for that lost city being found and then Tut, it's just, oh, it's so cool. I love Egypt so much. Any Egyptian listeners out there, I know I do have listeners in Egypt. I just want to say, I love your history. There'll be more, many more. They're coming for me now. And then they'll come for you. This week on our never-ending quest to find a truly scary movie, I am obviously recommending the 1999 film The Mummy, starring Brendan Frazier. My sexual orientation is in fact the entire cast of that film. It is so well done. The costumes, the set design, the story, it's just, it's so good. And the movie was based off the events of King Tut's curse. Many of you have most likely seen The Mummy, but I do have a younger generation of listeners who most likely have not seen it. And some of you have reached out to me saying that almost every movie I've recommended you have not seen. And even one mentioned that they've never even seen Harry Potter. So I thought, oh, wow, boy, now I don't have to... I, I still can't get over the Harry Potter thing. <laughs> but I'm not judging you. There's always room to grow your movie knowledge. So highly recommend the 1999 mummy because brendan fraser is a stud and he will forever be a king in movie history and you have to watch it i tried to scare you now you try to scare me you can reach out and send me your horror movie recommendations at lullabythefearpodcast.com for more details so don't forget to rate and share the podcast to support the show i appreciate it more than you could ever know and follow on Twitter at Lullaby the Fear and Instagram at Lullaby the Fear Podcast. And next week will be the third wow episode, which is, it's intense. So thank you for listening to this week's lullaby. Sweet dreams. Lights out. <laughs>